you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for LAist's new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We are where we eat. We'll go behind the scenes of LA restaurants. The kickoff event is May 22nd. Tickets at LAist.com events. Hey, what's up? I'm Marcos Trinidad, and this is Human Nature. Every week, we'll get out into the nature of your neighborhood with the help of people who see the world a little differently. Let's go down this way. Today, I'm out in the San Gabriel Mountains with Raquel Falco. We're on the Big Belton Canyon Trail. It goes right along the stream. And it's not that big of a stream, but you know, you see lots of life, uh, plant life, and and just the sound of the water is super soothing. There's water flowing down from the hill and we're under this huge California sycamore. It is absolutely beautiful here. Raquel is an arborist and park supervisor for the city of Glendora. And believe it or not, the reason why we're out here on this beautiful spring day is to kill some trees. Let me get my drill bit here and put it in my drill. Okay. Actually, just one kind of tree specifically, a non-native tree called Ailanthus altissima, also known as the tree of heaven. Sounds nice, right? But according to Raquel, it's a tree from hell. There's a lot of different like woody shrubs and, and trees, but you can distinguish tree of heaven because the bark sort of looks like a melon. Her mission today, find tree of heaven and destroy them. And- I'm just gonna pull it in different directions to see if I can get to that root system. They're very shallow rooted and this soil is pretty moist. So that makes it extra easy. When they're small enough, she rips them out of the ground with her bare hands. Others she cuts in half with the handsaw she keeps hanging on her belt. And in order to you know, uh, just sort of mess with the root system. I'll just cut them at this height. At the very least, I just cut them to try to slow down photosynthesis. But sometimes even literally sawing them in half doesn't work. That's when the big guns come out. This is called trichopyr. It's an herbicide that she injects straight into the tree. So I've got my little uh, single injector here and I'm plugging that into the hole that I've made. And so now that that's pretty secure, um, I'm going to press on my gun and I'm gonna be very careful because sometimes the pressure um, can be pretty uh, great, great enough that it'll spew out. There it is, you see that? So I'll pull it out slowly and then I'll go into the other hole I made and I'll do the same thing. In a matter of weeks, the tree will start to lose leaves and die. And yeah, it's a pretty extreme method, but Raquel says it's necessary. For a lot of conservationists, Tree of Heaven is public enemy number one. It's just a problem. Tree of Heaven is almost impossible to kill. When Raquel saws down one tree, four or five are gonna come back in its place. It's super invasive, meaning it grows and reproduces really fast. 
and it can crowd out native plants. It even releases a chemical that suppresses growth in surrounding plants, like the native ones that Raquel wants to protect. Some laurel sumac, which is native, we're definitely leaving that. We've got some mule fat, which is native, that stays, and then some willow. Um, anything that's, that's endemic or native to this region, we leave. She's been working on removing Tree of Heaven from this trail for a couple of years now, and she's made some progress, but no matter what she tries, the work will never be done. It's one of those things where I, I, I don't have hate for it, but I know what has to get done. I guess I can sort of get my emotions out of it and really just say, this is what I got to do. Today on the show, the most hated tree in the world. We'll discover how Tria Heaven got here in the first place and get to the bottom of its bad reputation. Which parts are science and which parts are, quite frankly, pretty f***ed up. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps. Start your Saturday with something that will grow your kiddos' brains and get their creative juices flowing. Join us at LAS for a morning of multilingual story times, interactive performances, art making, and lots of kid fun. Bring the whole fam and join us for a super fun Saturday at LAS in Pasadena on June 1st. Tickets at LAS.com slash events. See you there. For someone who doesn't know what the tree of heaven looks like, it doesn't really stand out from other trees. You know, tall, leafy, but to conservationists, it's unmistakable. Everyone has something negative to say about it. I recognize that could be a bit of an echo chamber. So I wanted to talk to someone who has another take on this tree, someone who actually kind of likes it. Can you please introduce yourself? Okay, my name is Peter Del Tredici. I've been working with trees for um, pretty much most of my adult life. Peter has been an arborist with the Harvard Botanical Garden for more than 30 years. And he says he first encountered the tree of heaven when he moved from California, where he grew up, to Boston. Well, obviously, the tree of heaven grows in California, and I must have seen it. It didn't make an impression on me until I moved east. And you see, not only in Boston, but New York City, this tree is growing everywhere. And it's growing in places where nobody obviously planted it coming out of the, you know, where the sidewalk meets the foundation of a house or out of sewer grates. And, uh, you know, I have to admit, I was sort of fascinated by this tree. And I guess I have to use the word admiring of it, that it could grow under such adverse conditions and flourish. Can you describe to me what the tree of heaven looks like? Well, the tree of heaven is... I think the one word I would use to describe it is gawky. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's a very sparsely branched. It has very large twigs and you see it in the winter landscape. It's like a stick figure of a tree, 
But right now, actually, here in the Boston area, it's beginning to leaf out. And it happens very quickly. It goes from being a, a twig to, you know, fully leafed out. Right. It, it goes from like, is this thing alive to like, oh, my God, I can't believe how much it's grown. So what's the history of how Tree of Heaven came to the United States? Well, you know, it was a novelty in, you know, the late 1700s, I believe, early 1800s. It does exist as a wild plant in uh, central and eastern China. And basically, you know, this would be after the American Revolution, America started to grow and expand. And there were actually people with some wealth that started to appear. And people started wanting to grow gardens that contained, you know, ornamentals, not just food plants. And they uh, began importing trees directly from Europe. And these were all, um, you know, expensive ornamentals. And Ilanthus was one of the the first trees to come over from Europe as an ornamental plant. Just to clarify, you mentioned Ilanthus. Can you tell me the, the botanic name for, for the tree of heaven that we are referring to? That's Ilanthus altissima, and that just means, you know, very tall. One of the things, not only was it fast growing, and, you know, nurserymen like trees that grow fast, and remember at this time, Growing trees in the city was not an ordinary thing. The cities were for people and everything was paved over and, you know, we're trying to keep nature out of our cities. But the Ilanthus was tolerant of these sort of difficult urban conditions. And then the other thing is that nurserymen liked it because it was easy to propagate. It uh, sprouted from what are called root suckers. In other words, if you dig a plant up and you leave a little piece of root behind, that'll produce a new shoot. So the fact that it was easy to propagate uh, meant that nurserymen were able to increase it rapidly. By the 1860s, um, so within a period of about 40 years, it was the most common street tree in New York City. That is shocking, that, that history of it being a desirable tree. What changed? Several things happened. One is that the, the tree is a little bit stinky. And the pollen, they thought that the pollen was getting into the water because people had a lot of open wells in those days and polluting the water and causing uh, yellow fever. Wow. So there was a, of course, it's not true, but this was an easy thing to blame the tree for this. And then it started, what happened is the trees that they planted 20 years earlier started to sprout. Sprouts started coming up everywhere outside of the area had been planted. And uh, this is where uh, people began to see what this tree can actually do once you plant thousands of them all over the city. And so there was a movement, uh, you know, beginning around 18, you know, probably after the Civil War that, you know, we can do better than the Atlantis. Let's get rid of it. But when you try to dig it up, as I said, every piece of root you leave behind or you cut it down, it produces a new shoot. So if you go after the Ilanthus with a, a chainsaw or something and you cut it down, you get, you know, maybe 20 new shoots coming where you had one tree before. So all of the efforts to get rid of it simply propagated it. This tree calls for backup. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When we come back... Peter and I talk about how America's intense relationship with Atlantis was never just about the trees.
Hi, I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, and we are back for another round. This is clearly an NPR audience. (laughs) I think they're so smart. What the hell? My guests this time are actor Vela Lavelle and author Amanda Montel, whose new book, The Age of Magical Overthinking, is out now. Join us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum for book talk, trivia, and hot takes. Tickets can be found at laist.com slash events. Democracy needs to be heard. Hi, this is Steve Inskeep with NPR's Morning Edition. Journalism and democracy go together like late nights and taco trucks. Each is good on its own, but they're better together. So the fact that journalism is in crisis in many places is not good for democracy. Local reporting fuels democracy. It helps us understand the communities in which we live. Show your support today at las.com slash give. Thanks. So I can remember the first time that I had an interaction with Tria Heaven. So I was in charge of a group of, at the time, what was considered at-risk youth. And we were out weed whacking and removing invasive plants. And Tria Heaven was everywhere. And when it was identified for me, it was like, oh, this is Ilanthus, Tria Heaven, and it sucks. But I remember the actual moment when my attitude shifted. This was years later, and I'm sitting in a workshop about California oaks. This workshop was taught by a person that is well-respected in the field, written a few books, and just speaks poetry when it comes to these oaks. And then the topic of non-native plants, invasive plants came up, and one example was Tree of Heaven. How useless and how horrible this other tree is. It's from China. It doesn't belong here, and you need to rip it out. And I thought, like, wait a minute, like, like that's not actually cool. I'm not saying that I love Tree of Heaven, And to be honest, I will take it out when I find it. But the way we talk about Tree of Heaven really started rubbing me the wrong way. Because that hate, that language, sounds familiar. It sounds a lot like the way some Americans talk about people who are not quote-unquote from here. And it turns out, racism towards people and prejudice towards Tree of Heaven have always been related. Well, what's really interesting is that in the 1840s, 1850s, there's a famous landscape professional. His name was Andrew Jackson Downing, who had been, you know, a promoter of trees. And it was his idea to build Central Park. He designed the mall in Washington, D.C. He wrote this amazingly racist essay called Down with the Ilanthus. He used the Atlantis as, you know, this oriental, let's put it that way, that has, you know, wormed its way into our gardens, you know, sort of seduced gardeners with its beauty and its rapid growth. And now we know its true character and we've got to get rid of it. And we should only plant native species because this plant is untrustworthy. Wow. So... There was some serious anti-Asian racism going on here historically with the Tree of Heaven. I've got to imagine that didn't go away all the way. 
Can you tell us a little bit about what these opinions are today of Ilanthus and and how would you summarize that? They're not good. They're definitely not good. Um, if you go into, you know, any of the major cities on the East Coast, Ilanthus, it's the most common tree in the cities of the Northeast. But, you know, nobody counts it. Nobody gives any credit for it because it's not planted. So, you know, it's relatively easy to recognize. And in a lot of um, low-income neighborhoods where this tree is quite common, uh, people who live in those neighborhoods typically don't like the Ilanthus because it's seen as a indicator of neglect. You know, in other words, nobody is taking care of this land. You know, why does anybody care about this neighborhood? You know, and that tree is exhibit A. So clearly, Tree of Heaven is extremely disruptive to our native ecosystems. But it's kind of wrapped up in all of this racism and classism. And what does all this mean for how we interact with Tree of Heaven in our neighborhoods? Like, what are we supposed to do with Tree of Heaven? Well, this depends on who you talk to. And since you're talking to me, I'm going to give you my answer. The thing is, is all trees produce shade. And the thing about the Atlantis, it grows where no one planted it. So it provides ecological services, if we call it that, in terms of, you know, managing stormwater runoff, uh, producing shade, sequestering carbon at no cost to the taxpayer. So nobody has to plant it, nobody has to take care of it or anything. So that is, you know, my definition of sustainability. Um, in the other place where, here in the East anyway, where Atlantis is really common is along interstate highways, where we use a lot of road salt in the wintertime. And Atlantis, being an incredibly tough tree, is totally tolerant of road salt and a lot of our native species can't tolerate that road salt so the highway bankings uh, along the interstate are often covered with hylanthus trees because they can tolerate those conditions and they in those situations they're providing erosion control and they're growing where nothing else will grow i can definitely see see the argument and in fact i'll be honest with you you're the first person i've talked to that speaks with, you know, that speaks so passionately about Tree of Heaven. It's remarkable. I'm, I'm, I'm listening. So I want to talk about climate change. Why is this tree going to matter as the climate changes? Well, the thing is, is that, you know, climate change, uh, you know, has changed absolutely everything. And one of the things is that, you know, here in the East, everybody talks about planting native species and restoring, you know, ecological habitats. And the fact of the matter is, is that there's no going back to the past. What we can do is move forward. And why I'm interested in this plant and actually a lot of invasive species is these plants are going to do some heavy lifting in the future. And we actually need these plants because they're able to tolerate conditions that, you know, most plants can't deal with at all. Longer periods of drought, like you're having in California, we're having heavy rain. And so uh, as the climate shifts, Ilantis should be able to track those changes better than a lot of other species are able to. Should we be ripping this tree out from our landscape? Well, 
you know, if it's growing somewhere, just ripping it out is not actually going to do very much. So I think declaring it uh, evil incarnate and saying we've got to get rid of this tree First of all, it's not going to happen because people have been trying to get rid of Vilantis on the East Coast, you know, for a very long time without any success whatsoever. So my advice is to learn how to live with it, learn how to manage it in the landscape. So, you know, get rid of it in those areas where you really don't want it, where it's interfering with infrastructure and stuff like that or ruining your foundation or lifting the sidewalk or whatever. But, you know, it's growing in a lot of areas where it really doesn't matter. You know, in those areas where nobody is taking care of the landscape and the tree of heaven is growing, we're getting services out of this tree uh, without doing anything to it. And so that's a good thing. You know, tell me again what the problem is here. So, you know, I think that, sure, if you, you know, if you've got the money to put in a formal park, great, go ahead and do that and get rid of the Atlantis. But in the absence of those kind of resources and, you know, you've got the tree of heaven growing there, particularly along, say, a, a roadside, an interstate highway or something like that. I don't know what the problem is. If you had a tree of heaven in your backyard, would you <laughs> rip it out? Yes. <laughs> no question about it. It's Because I want to grow other plants, you know? And so it's just going to take over. And, uh, you know, I, I, that's not what I want in my garden. But another way of phrasing that question is, you know, would the world be a better place if we eradicated all of the trees of heaven? And I would say no. Now, in the countryside, that's a little bit different issue. And I can see in those areas, you may not want the tree of heaven. And it's probably a good idea to get rid of it because it's going to compete with the native vegetation. But in an urban context, I personally don't think we need to eradicate it. We need all the trees we can get. I would agree with you 100%. Well, thank you so much for sharing a wealth of knowledge about the Tree of Heaven. And it was great to just see your admiration for this tree. I I really appreciate you taking the time and sharing this with us. You're welcome, Marcos. Human Nature is hosted by Marcos Trinidad. This episode was produced by me, Caroline Champlin, with help from Carla Javier. Kelly Prime is our story editor. Fiona Ng is our acting supervising producer. Mixing and engineering by Parker McDaniels and Sean Corey Campbell. Ex Manana composed our music, and Doris Anahi Munoz is the music supervisor. Human Nature is a production of LA Studios. The marketing team created our branding with art by Christine Tyler Hill. Special thanks to Taylor Kaufman, Sabir Brara, Kristen Hayford, Kristen Muller, Andy Orozco, Michael Cosentino, and Neha Sheda. Antonia Sedahito and Leo G are the executive producers for LAS Studios. Our time in the field was recorded on Gabrielino Tongva territory. Support for this podcast is made possible by Gordon and Donna Crawford, who believe that quality journalism makes Los Angeles a better place to live. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. That's all for this episode of Human Nature. We'll see you next time. Alleyest has a new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We Are Where We Eat will go behind the scenes of some of your favorite L.A. restaurants to find out how and why they do what they do. 
I'm Austin Cross. Join me for the first event where we'll explore how restaurants help make a neighborhood and we'll all have something delicious to eat afterwards. It's May 22nd at the Crawford. Get your tickets now at las.com events.